We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Andy, we got a special guest. Yes, my guy. I don't think he likes me anymore, but my guy. What? I think he, was, he was told by multiple people at uh, at Summer League coming up to him. These fans coming up to hate me. He think, oh, come, come on re- now. I can't refuse. I can't resist. You know, you're the bad boy that I just, you know, can't. It's like you're the character in every Taylor Swift song to me, Andy. I, Are you a Taylor I, I Swift couldn't. fan? Are you, is your wife? I know Sam, your wife has got to be. Gotta I mean, be. I'm not. I'm not against her. I think she's a very talented artist. I think she does that cool thing in a lot of her songs where it seems like she's going to rhyme it with one word and you expect it, but then she misdirects you to another word. I think that's pretty cool. I'm into it. This is why I love having Ethan on because he just says shit like that where I'm like, I've never even thought about that. I'm a, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. That has never come to mind. Uh, come to my mm. mind. But uh, I'll be on the lookout uh, next time I listen to her. You Ethan know. has well, a take you know, on every it's, topic. It, yeah. it's just <laughs> yeah. where she goes, you know, uh, hope to see you again, even if it's just, and you assume it's going to be pretend, but then she goes in your wildest dreams. She does that where you're going, I'm expecting it's going to go to the rhyming word. Nope. She redirected it. She did it again. I don't know if there's a term for whatever that is, but I appreciate her craft as a songwriter and uh, a hits woman. You just have the lyrics just up in your head. You're just ready to ready to go. Taylor Swift never heard of her. Never heard of her. Impressive. Who? That's how we kick off the Light Years podcast. Yeah, that is that is how we kick it off. Speaking of uh, other controversy, you know, I had to bring Ethan on because you wrote an article earlier this week on the Suns, and mm. there was some uh, there was some Warriors synergy in there, and it's just Ooh. it's. It's fun to get into this because it's the whole Isaiah Thomas shadow GM aspect. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was behind the Chris Paul trade. It's kind of how I took it. It seems based off your article, you know, maybe that is why Chris Paul looks so salty that he's a warrior. That or, you know, he knows he has to come off the bench one or the other. Mm. But these are my favorite Ethan articles because I feel like you could say NBA media just gets more and more like transparently, uh, you know, PR for agents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, Woj breaks a transaction, then you have a 14 tweet thread 
you know, congratulating the agent on this tremendous piece of business <laughs> he's done. Uh, so it's so it's fun when you do one of these to take people behind the scenes where I know you're not being paid by, uh, you know, someone at Wasserman or CAA or whoever it may be. <laughs> um, or Isaiah Thomas, although maybe, I mean, he doesn't seem to care. He seems like he's cool having it out there that he's got some juice. Um, actually, that's okay. So that you're bringing up a good topic because I didn't, I wanted to talk about this for a while and it seemed as though the NBA media was avoiding it. Bill Simmons would make jokes about it, about how Thomas was the shadow GM and um, you would see Hollinger made a joke at summer league, but there was a big lead up to this where I was looking around and often I know why certain topics are being avoided by ESPN. And I go, okay, well there's that CAA connection or there's that GM and he's friends with that reporter. But in this one, I didn't quite get it because I'm going, okay, I don't know where Isaiah's juice is. I don't know if they really feel the need to protect the Suns. Um, so it was odd that it was so avoided, but finally Brian Windhorst, who I think is just one of the best talents in NBA media did a story that dealt with it. And I thought, okay, now we can talk about this because to me, it's just a legitimately interesting situation um, and to do some exposition on it. So Isaiah Thomas, I don't think can have an easy path to working for an NBA team. Again, a lot of that, most of that is because he was sued successfully for sexual harassment when he was coach of the Knicks and was found liable for over $11 million. Um, I think that there are some opinions on Fifth Avenue where they run the NBA on whether Isaiah Thomas should be hired by a team. But he's tight with Matt Ishbia, the guy who just bought the Suns and grew up a diehard Pistons fan, I'm assuming. I don't think he's talked about it openly, but this is I'm just going to assume based on what's happened that there is some affinity there. And so I term what the Suns are going through, I call it the high chair problem, and it's the idea as said by Conan O'Brien, that the celebrities that have the biggest psychic impact on us and that we were most in awe of are the celebrities we saw when we were really little kids emerging into sentience. We watched them from a high chair. And so there's all this chatter, all this rumor about how Isaiah Thomas, despite having no formal role with the Suns, has the ear with the owner. He's in a bunch of settings the Suns are in. He's sitting courtside with the owner. Chris Paul citing him as the reason he's gone. And a lot of that power, as crazy as it is to say, is that he was amazing at basketball in the 1980s. But here we are. Yeah. I'm just looking at Ishbia was born in 1980. Those bad boys, Pistons, won titles. What was like nine and 10 years old? Formative yeah. memories. It does tie to the theory. I mean, obviously, Isaiah was their best player and all that sort of stuff. It does tie to that theory. I thought the interesting part was Chris Paul just openly saying Isaiah wanted me gone. What is the yeah. backstory on those two? Because it, it feels like if Isaiah Thomas is not the shadow GM or whatever you want to call him with the Suns, mm. Chris Paul may never end up a warrior. Like, yeah, I could draw a direct line there, which is why I thought this is so interesting. There's a lot of uh, this town's not big enough for the both of us happening there. Now, getting rid of Chris Paul, I think, made sense as a basketball decision. And it's pretty vague as to who dealt the blow there. I think it's totally plausible that this would have happened even if Isaiah weren't present. But considering his power, it, it almost seems like he could have he could have stopped it from happening or he could have pushed it over the edge. And we're not going to really know because he's just the guy who happens to be in the owner's ear. 
informally and again in a lot of settings and he's courtside at their games in summer league in many ways by the way that's more of an indicator than his sitting next to Ishbia in the playoff games I mean a playoff game that's somewhere to be seen it's a playoff game you could say it's recreational but when you're showing up and you're sitting next to James Jones at their summer league game I mean (laughs) you're kind of working for the team even if you're on the payroll or even if you're not on the payroll so it was interesting with the Chris Paul thing that he threw that out there three times in the article he blamed Isaiah and it was almost like he threw chum in the water for the media and they didn't really follow up on it which was curious to me again and what I love about the Isaiah versus Chris Paul scenario is that they're so similar. (laughs) Both guys are the same size. They're both regarded as very smart. They're both regarded as very phony. And they're both regarded as very vicious. And this whole thing happened with the Suns. Let's go back in time. Two Napoleonic point guards. You know, let's go back in time with the Suns. Chris Paul is playing for Robert Sarver's Suns. ESPN starts going hard at Robert Sarver. I don't want to insult the work and the investigative reporting. I'm sure all of it was true, but it was very strange to read these rumors about Bob Iger, who was CEO of Disney, and then retired. There are reports he's looking to buy an NBA team. There are reports he's looking to buy the Suns, and ESPN, run by Disney, is just going hard at the Suns owner, Robert Sarver, trying to dislodge him. So what happens is that when those reports come out, Chris Paul is the first player, hell, maybe the only player, I didn't check all the Suns, uh, who just stabs Sarver in the front and basically says the punishment isn't enough, more needs to happen. He's actively engaged in trying to get Sarver out of there. Everybody's whispering about how he's friends with Bob Iger, that Chris Paul is really good friends with Bob Iger. There was a, you know, Ramona Shelburne has written at length about it. They're buddies. They talk on the phone all the time. So you've got this set. You've got the setting. You've got the situation where Isaiah. We're not even at the Isaiah part yet. Where we've got the setting. We've got the situation where Chris Paul. You could say it was meant genuinely, but he's helping to oust the owner of the Suns, a team he's playing for, at a time when the tycoon that he's really great friends with is looking to buy those Suns. What happens? Well. As Bill Simmons has said, Robert Sarver puts his foot down and says, okay, fine, I'm out, fine. But guess what? I'm not selling to Bob Iger. That's the one guy I'm not selling to. So what ends up happening is that Bob Iger doesn't get the Suns. He slinks back to Disney to run Disney, which is in shambles. And he talks about every week now that, that maybe he came back at the wrong time. But that's a that's a decision that shifts the world economy. The Suns drama potentially shifts the world economy because now 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 uh, Bob Iger is is running the Suns and the team is sold to Matt Ishbia. Matt Ishbia is not good friends with Chris Paul. He's good friends with Isaiah Thomas. Chris Paul gets booted out of the situation. Uh this whole thing that he might have precipitated because he could he thought he could get his bil- his billionaire buddy in there, but instead it's the other billionaire buddy and here we are. I feel like I just ran us through an entire arc in succession. Did did Robert Sarver, and now now I'm curious, now that I'm locked into this Game of Thrones succession-esque uh, type of uh, scenario here. Real high. Robert, yeah, real, real same thing. <laughs> did Robert Sarver know that Isaiah Thomas, when he sold it to Matt Ishbia, that Isaiah Thomas would kind of run 
essentially run mm. the franchise and and he can get his revenge on Chris Paul <laughs> who <laughs> did he is Robert Sarver smart enough to have oh done that God. is he shrewd enough oh wow maybe I mean the die or was cast and, yeah was I I think it would have happened sooner right because it didn't happen immediately it happened in the off season but the the rumors and this is just people chattering they wonder they think hey man this was Isaiah if Isaiah did have a hand in it it, you know, maybe it wasn't a basketball decision. Maybe it was just being smart and going, look, I'm Rasputin here. I have Ishbia's here. This other point guard hall of famer who's my height seems to be pretty good at buddying up billionaires. I don't know. I don't know if I want that guy around the situation and uh, forging the kind of bond he had with Iger, with Ishbia. I think, you know, we got to make sure that this guy's put out the pasture. That's the chatter. Again, it's all fun. It's all speculative. Sure. You could easily have just been booted because it made the most financial now sense uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Now you have me wondering, will Chris Paul find his way to ingratiate himself to Joe Lacob? Oh, that's or, is he so not, or is he, or is he not rich? <laughs> or is he not rich enough for, for I mean, Chris Paul? I mean, cause he is reading Ayn Rand right now. <laughs> studying up. I'm just, uh, I, we, we haven't even really talked about it. Like I, I, I text with you. It's going to be weird to see just Chris Paul and a Warriors. The, the whole thing's mm. bizarre. I've talked myself into it, um, mostly because I view it as no downside. Like, if it fails, I could just make fun of Chris Paul more. But if it works, I could be the guy who saw it before everyone else saw it. You know? Mm. That sort of thing. Yeah. But I, I can't lie. Part of me is just having a very hard time imagining him accepting an Andre Godala roll off the bench. I'm amazed that he's not accepting it. I mean, what the, the the reaction at Summer League is just bizarre to me. It almost seemed is is he just incapable of giving up any amount of leverage? Is that the thought that if he accedes to it, then he's already one step behind? Because I mean, dude, you're just not at that phase in your career where you're assured of a starting spot or if it's even really expected. And I don't know. I mean, it was just I I. Look, who knows what's going to happen? If you're trying to play the optimist, you would say he thinks he's got a lot more in the tank than other people think. But to my mind, it was just so odd. Um, it was so odd. It almost reminded me of um, it almost reminded me of Bogut on his podcast revealing that uh, Clay was complaining about how Andre had come off the bench, but Kelly Oubre wouldn't. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that Chris Paul is Kelly Oubre, but there's just a <laughs> You know, people have sacrificed for things with the Warriors. It seemed almost like he was not so willing to do so, and that was the the quite irony. Surprising. The irony of Clay saying that now is uh, there will be a time, Clay Thompson, when mm. when uh, you may have to come off the bench. Some will argue, maybe someone that is not here anymore that you know he maybe should have uh, came off mm. the bench uh, for him. But yeah, maybe, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Doesn't matter anymore. Maybe a one Mister Ice Spice would still be a warrior if uh, <laughs> if Clay if Clay was willing to come off the bench. But you know, correct. Yeah. I, for what There's it's worth, a... I think that Clay shouldn't have for 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 Jordan no. Poole. But I'm he, he should have yeah. played better defense. I think Jordan Poole should have played better defense. Is, is team with Clay, team. but team with Clay. well, that is that as well. I mean, look, the Jordan Poole thing. I think we've talked about it, but. I get it in a way. I mean, it's ultimately his fault for having a really bad season and the bad playoffs, but I can understand how if you sign that big contract, what's the motivation? The motivation, it's not more money. You got the money. It's higher status. What happened to his status? He gets punched in the face. The guy who does it, not really even punished. I could understand how that might take the wind 
out of the sales. But, you know, what's happened has happened. Now Chris Paul is here. We'll see how it all plays out. I'm just I'm just so fascinated with this the Suns thing here. And then you got you got Kevin Durant on the Suns too. You didn't mention him anywhere in the article. I'm assuming nothing you found indicated he was involved in this power play. <laughs> Which is interesting. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even think to mention him or to talk about his role in all of this because the Suns are such a messy team. I mean, it's like so many things have already happened since the massive deal to get to get Kevin Durant there. You had the Bradley Beal trade. You've had the Chris Paul situation. You know, this was part of the big Ishbia splash was the Kevin Durant uh, force out on yet another team. And I feel like we do the same thing again and again now with Durant where we go, his legacy is on the line. If this one doesn't work out and he doesn't win it, and then it happens and we almost don't even react to it now because we don't even expect it to come to fruition. Um, Still got that finals MVP in 17. Still good. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, uh, yeah, he's an interesting case where in a way I wonder if his leverage has lessened over time because he hasn't been able to deliver the goods, number one. And number two, a commitment from him is a commitment for how long. And so in those ways, I think he becomes less a part of the story, even though he's still a great basketball player, just because it doesn't seem like he's as much a longstanding uh, character in what can really change the fortunes of a franchise. Mm. That's that's rough. I also think I don't know how much KD cares about a lot of this. Maybe he does. Who knows? But he he does feel like someone that's uh is he spending his time budding up billionaires or is he spending his time watching Kyrie highlights and thinking about you know what his next <laughs> ISO mid range move is going to be? You know, I it mean, feels like more- Mike, he was at the Michael Rubin White party, but I, I mean that's one of those situations where you're not even budding him up. Yeah, he's like forcing you to party with him. I'm assuming. <laughs> That sounds awkward. That's uh, I'm not well, the pictures I'm that I, I don't, Yeah, I'm being resentful because that guy's obviously cool and has a ton of charisma, and you know throws the biggest party now. So yeah. you can just discount whatever I'm saying. But yeah, the whole thing is a little bit is a little bit weird. You know, remember when he was kind of presented as the guy behind the 76ers and he almost was like this, uh, not technically the owner, but he was presenting himself as the owner, and now he's not there, and I. This is a whole other topic, but I don't know what to make of the whole Michael Rubin thing. So, what what do you think is the end goal? I need another I need another uh, con, uh, conspiracy idea from you. I'm sure it'll be in an article f- from yours and your Substack two months from now. But uh, what what's your uh, what's your take on what he's trying to do? Michael is Rubin to, is the real FTX. Is, is he trying to <laughs> is he trying to be the next commissioner? Is that is that the move? I don't know anything I'm, about Michael Rubin other than the. I mean, the I don't know if that's your glide path to being the next commissioner. Um, I was going to make a bunch of cocaine jokes. I mean, the yeah. guy throws a party called the white party yeah. with a bunch of high status, uh, <laughs> status people. I don't know what he's after. He might just be in it to have a good time. There might be nothing in it other, other than that. I'm, I'm not sure, but I do wonder. And, uh, that was okay. So here's a take like an old man take. Yes. I felt like when I saw the white party and I saw that movie of who was there, I would sell stock in the NBA players I saw at that party. You could say that's unfair and that's judgmental, but I almost felt like some of the other guys in the other sports, I kind of get it. Some of the football players, they got helmetitis where they don't get to do too much cool stuff. But, you know, it seemed like the NBA contingent was heavy on guys whose peak had already arrived or who maybe had some 
questions about their hunger versus how much they they like to have a good time. Just say James Harden. He might be the guy who embodies the whole thing. Yeah. He might be the the Harden the syndrome, apothe- the apotheosis of the whole of the whole thing. But there are a bunch of those kind of guys when they went through the ranks of who was at the party. Where I thought, man, you know, if I'm a, an NBA fan of whichever player, I just go, "Ooh, I'd rather they not be there." I don't no, think were there any Warriors there. I don't think there are. No, was not there. there. Nikola Jokic. No, that's what you need to know, right? Joel Embiid was there. James Harden was there. I'm looking at the names here. Tobias Harris was there. Retired Kyle yeah. Kuzma was there. Uh, Tom Brady retired. Uh, Donovan yeah. Mitchell. Uh, uh, Joe Burrow was there. I don't know. NFL is like, different. I'm, I'm setting you're right, NFL. You're right, you're right. You're right. You threw that NFL is different. CTE is you know? different. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> CTE is different. I, I got but, yeah. no other names, but yeah, you're right. I think if you're a Warriors Booker, fan, Booker, if you're a Warriors fan, you know, and you didn't see Warriors there, I think that's a good sign. I think that's a positive indicator for a championship. That's all I'm saying. I love this take. Surprised Clay wasn't there. But yeah, I guess he'd be, I'd be doing I guess he'd be doing his own boat party with with not as many dudes around. <laughs> a lot of dudes on this party. Dudes. Not my type of boat party either. That is that is the other part. You look at a picture, you're like, wow, it just looks like a boat full of dudes. Yeah, nice. I think I'm good. I think yeah. I'm good. That was a different kind of white party. Like, uh, uh, hard pass. Um, so are you buying the Suns? Because they're I was kind of indifferent to the Suns being interesting. Like when mm. KD went there, they trade for Bradley Beal. I'm like, oh great, another boring super team with no character. But but now you've kind of <laughs> you've kind of brought me in with the Isaiah Thomas. Like this, there could be there could be something beneath the surface here that's going to make them far more compelling than I thought. Oh oh yeah, no, I, I buy them as a team. I'm compelled by. Uh, okay. Do I buy that they're going to win the championship? I, I don't think so. I guess crazier things have happened. I can't wait for Isaiah to run onto the court and to grab the Larry O'Brien uh, as they're <laughs> passing it to Ishbia. I mean, that would be uh, that would be quite amusing. Um, but yeah, it's so cool to watch as a storyline because just, they for they force Sarver out for allegations of uh, racism and sexism and everything else, and then you've got this completely just brazen new owner who doesn't seem to care at all and is just hey whatever i'm gonna have isaiah kind of insinuate himself into the situation it brings up a lot of interesting topics for instance look man isaiah talks man he 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 likes to talk up stars and he has power here if isaiah is aggressively recruiting a star to the suns i mean is that tampering He's not he's not hired by them. I mean, there's almost an advantage in it, which makes it interesting to me. I, I, I'll bring up one other thing because I forgot to bring it up earlier. It was very funny to me. Um, he went on a Sway's radio show, and it's a really good interview with Isaiah Thomas. He's a compelling guy. And at some point, he was asked about the Chris Paul allegations that he forced Chris Paul out. Now, the obvious response of that happens is just to go, I'm not an employee of the Suns. I don't know what you're talking about. This is just... <laughs> I, I have nothing to do with what happens there. Isaiah Thomas seemed to get annoyed, questioned why Chris Paul would talk to the New York Times about that, and then just said, I'll handle it with Chris in private. He didn't say it, it didn't happen. I mean, I thought that was uh, the Suns, man. To what you're saying, Sam, it's my new favorite team. I'm just, yeah, I think this is the playoff matchup I need the most for the Warriors. I kind of thought it was the Lakers just because they lost to him last year, and there's, 
there's always some fun with the the NorCal SoCal thing and LeBron and that whole thing. But I think Phoenix is the matchup I want the Warriors to get the most in the playoffs next year. There's just so many that's, layers to it. You have the Kevin Durant layer. You have oh, that's the, you no, have that's you speaking. That's the wounded. That's the traumatized. The Lakers is the obvious matchup that gets the juices flowing. But now you're a little worried. Losing to them didn't feel so good. That's that's what I'm saying. That's my theory. If you're no, a casual, I always, fan, I always thought I always thought Phoenix was the easier matchup. I think Sam agrees mm. with that going into last season. But uh, yeah, agreed. I'm yeah. saying it's it's going to be. Uh, there's a little more juice in the Suns matchup now. I'm a little, I'm, I'm I'm more intrigued by it than I was last year because of all this mm. throwing the Chris Paul element into there. Like, is he gonna is he gonna sabotage the Warriors because he wants to prove a point and play play his style of basketball the whole way? I don't know. There's just a lot of layers I, to that matchup. I, I feel like a Lakers matchup is so as a as a Warriors fan, a Lakers a LeBron matchup, not even a Lakers matchup, is so you know how it's gonna go. You know exactly how it's gonna go. It's going to be build LeBron versus Steph when LeBron's not even close to the best player on the team. He's going to fake an injury at some point in the series. Talk about <laughs> why he's hurt. They're going to run. Do you have surgery on his foot, by the way? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Did he ever retire? You know, it's just the same old <laughs> shit every series. And, <laughs> you know, they won that one, right? The, Lakers, the Warriors were terrible. They, they were terrible outside of Steph, so they won that one. And then it just feels like if they're doing it again, it's the same old stuff. I'm kind of with Sam. The Suns one is interesting. Um, also the Warriors could never guard KD. <laughs> so yeah. it'd be kind of cool to see. Be kind of cool to see that again. I'm just remembering LeBron at the SB's uh kind of assuring us that it you know, saying basically, what how did he even phrase it that look, you know, you're you should be thankful that I'm not retiring. Something that had that tone to it. And he's just he's amazing, LeBron. He's amazing. It's my rule of LeBron that so great, incredible greatness, and the cringe level incredibly high, and the cringe will always meet the greatness somehow. As great as he gets, that's where the cringe will go. Um, he'll play spectacularly in the playoffs and blow us away versus what somebody you know in middle age should be able to do. Ha- be totally blameless in a sweep against the Nuggets, and we're about to praise him and to get attention. He fake retires i mean it's just it's incredible it's absolutely amazing the pr instincts of one lebron james the pr instincts is such a good way to put it this week's light years podcast brought to you by game time sam i was in new york and i wanted to catch my first ever yankee stadium game went to it last second the app that i used to buy the tickets was game time because buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you will have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, all the above. The Game Time guarantee means you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, Game Time will actually credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without distress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use Light Years L Y G H T Y E R S for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Create an account and redeem code Light Years for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I wanted to ask you on this one though, because we we were talking about Ishbia a few minutes ago. 
is he the most brazen new owner complex you've seen in the NBA yet? Because it's like, you know, we, we, we all like to make our Joey Lightyear's jokes because he's, he's pretty bombastic mm. and out there. But I would argue in general, while they've been aggressive, they're kind of pragmatic also with the way yeah. they operate. Like he didn't come into town and just decide to like trade for every like shiny object. He might kind of tried to, yeah. but he, he ultimately didn't do it the way that this is going down. It doesn't have uh, well, shadow GMs operating. Here's a take. Was <laughs> Joey saved by his high chair hero dynamic, right? Because you look at the age of Joe Lacob versus Jerry West, and you realize ah. that Joe Lacob grew up in Southern California, and you see that his age gap with Jerry West is roughly the age gap of Ishbia to Isaiah Thomas. That was, that and was you a remember, star player when he was a kid, yeah. You remember he brings in Jerry West as one of the main consultants, uh, voices in the room, he wanted the shiny object. He wanted to get Kevin Love. Who told him no? Who pushed against it? Well, one of the forces, one of the voices was Steve Kerr, but very much notably, another one was Jerry West. So the high chair in that situation might have prevented Lakeup from going full new owner versus a situation in Phoenix where we got a high chair scenario and it doesn't seem to really be stopping him from going full new owner. Man, they also tried to trade. Remember that the Steph and Clay for Chris Paul potential hey, trade that I, Chris Paul said he didn't want, like basically wasn't that the way it went down? I was like, I won't sign an extension if you yeah, trade for he, me. Yeah, he killed it. I mean, that was a whole thing where Larry Riley said, okay, so that's a whole complicated thing because mm -hmm. Larry Riley, when I put that in my book, said that it didn't happen and it was on Bay Area Radio and it was a thing that day. And then Chris Paul was interviewed about it the next day. And he went, <laughs> oh, that totally happened. <laughs> Here's how it happened. Da, 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 da. And I'd never loved Chris Paul more than in that scenario. Um, and then I felt like I should have said something. We might have been at a party, Sam, that Larry Riley shockingly was at when we were in Vegas. And I was told he was even talking about it and talking about that situation. I think <laughs> it, was a missed it was a missed opportunity for me not to get drunk and yell at Larry Riley is, is all I'm saying. He seems like a, a very lovely man. And it was a surprising seems like a fun party, fun party guest for sure. Yeah. Was he at the, he at yeah. the white party? I mean, he might've, he was definitely the oldest guy there. I mean, I'll say that much. It was, um, it was I surprising see to see him there. I was going to, I was going to say, yeah, now I'm, now I'm wondering how often is Chris Paul going to bring that up in practice? You know, your owner wanted to trade both of you for me. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't think Chris Paul wins any type of trash scenarios. Yeah. With, with Steph out there I mean, it's rough so just gonna like, walk around going yeah. forward. The, com the complication there because you hear yeah. different things i have it on pretty good authority not pretty good i have it on good i mean i know but that was a crazy scenario back when that was happening because technically larry riley was the gm of the team but in reality bob myers was starting to run the team so you can kind of guess as to why there might be some confusion and perhaps why larry riley can say this never happened. And I'm going, hmm, you know, like, I don't know if you were, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, in the loop. Yeah. Pulling in the loop. So that is, it is fine to think about that, you know, because Lakeup did come in wanting to make the big splash. And because of what the, just the reality of who the warriors were at that yeah. time, it, it wasn't was that easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in some ways best, you know, he got lucky. It, it worked out in his favor that way. Right. 
Yeah, I, I would say it's hard to really find a through line. And I think my book might have sold more copies. A, if it came out not on April 2020, that was probably a suboptimal time for a book to come out. <laughs> uh, hey, it made a profit. I'm very proud of its ability to make a profit considering that every bookstore in America was closed. So I'm cool with that. But the other thing is that it's always good when you have a message of succinctly what caused success, right? Moneyball. You know, the A's punched above their weight because they used math and they were very clever. And you see a lot of books with those sorts of titles of they're playing this kind of this kind of ball, that extra two percent for the Tampa Bay Rays and and all this. But it was really hard for me to find a through line. It was this crazy confluence of factors of having an owner who gives a shit and combined with Steph Curry turning out to be not only the ultimate player, but the ultimate teammate. And then getting lucky on scenarios where you tried to, to trade away guys before understanding how good they were and it didn't happen. And then they blossom and it just, it almost just felt like a crazy craps roll. I mean, I don't want to diminish the efforts of the people who turned the dynasty into what it was, but there was so much luck involved too, that it was difficult for me to find some sort of thesis and say, Oh, here's why the warriors became the warriors. When Larry was hashtag Steph better. Yeah, I was gonna say when I was just gonna say when Larry Riley drafted Steph against his wishes back when uh back when you could do that, back when that was allowed. Uh you could still mm. draft players even though they didn't want to yeah. want to go there. Yeah, it was a different era. Guys would just do their jobs. It was weird. It was totally weird. Total suckers play by Steph. But no, a lot of what happened with Steph was incredible. And then there were these other aspects where they made the right decision at the right time. It's amazing to me that if they didn't fire Mark Jackson, they would have never known what they had in clay. And that just shows you that coaching, when people say coaching doesn't matter or it's just not a big factor in what happens, I think that's that's crazy to me. You know, that's that's completely nuts. I mean, you look at the Warriors, think of the mistake they make and how monumental it is, just not knowing how good Clay Thompson is and dealing him to the Timberwolves because they weren't moving the ball. And they didn't have an offense that could accentuate what he could do. I mean, these are mistakes that just eliminate title runs and also just the money involved where you're squandering massive amounts of money because you don't know how good a player is or you think one player is better than he is. I mean, coaching, I mean, that's one of the lessons that coaching does matter. It's like, I don't even know if Stan Van Gundy figures it out. That, that was the guy that the Warriors actually wanted, I, I think. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong there. True, they, no, true. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if he would have done it. It was a Steve Kerr thing. Like Steve Kerr's principles aligned correctly with Steph yeah. Clay and Draymond. Versus, I mean, maybe if it's not Steph Clay and Draymond, Steve Kerr probably gets fired. Steve Kerr goes to the Knicks. He's he's no way he's still a coach now. Like he's out of there. Yeah, after three four years, right? It just it just ended up being perfect. No, just exactly. Get Nerlens Noel to move the ball. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Trying no, to impress upon him, giving him the uh, secret art of playing tennis or whatever that book is to, to <laughs> Nerlens Noel, seeing how it goes. It was nice that Moody's reading that book. I'm intrigued by that book that that Kerr that reads right? throughout the year. Mm. Um, it, it's just a book on how not to choke. Basically, I need to read it before I uh, play golf with uh, my in-laws this uh, this coming week. Uh, anyway, we're getting far afield here, but yeah, I think Kerr deserves a tremendous amount of credit for having a vision and implementing that vision against the lowest uh, risk way to go about things because would Stan Van Gundy do that? I don't think he would. I think Stan Van Gundy would go with the tried and true yeah. run, pick and roll all game, 
don't move the ball and just drill down on defense. But Kerr saw the vision of the sharing the ball and moving the ball that ultimately unlocked everybody. So it was a tremendous example of having a vision and implementing it and realizing it. And man, 2015, what a run. Yeah. Uh, back also when the NBA was far less controlled by transactional newsbreakers. How's that for a yeah. pivot right there? Oh, I, I hear oh. you're, uh, I hear you might be working on something. You have some thoughts on, uh, the, uh, the Damian Lillard situation, which just feels like the most trans Ooh. transparent case of like, this is my newsbreaker and this is your newsbreaker. And we're going <laughs> to present two, two versions of what's going on. And you can decide which one you want to believe. <laughs> I mean, it's getting spicy with Dan Lebetard calling out Woj by name. You got Woj talking about Dame's agent, which is intriguing to me because, I mean, usually he doesn't, he only tells you about the agent when it's good. So it's interesting when he's at war with this agent that suddenly the guy is a villain in this particular story. And somehow, some way, I kind of think like everybody gets the scenario, you know? Everybody mm -hmm. kind of understands the situation that Miami, it seems has the best offer to get Dame. Now, maybe the Blazers don't want that offer, which is why you're hearing about three-team deals. I think it's fair if they don't want Hero. Yeah, that makes sense to me, right? Um, but that's still in a vacuum, a pretty good offer for a guy who's going to be making $60 million in the last year of his deal that you get a young guy like a Tyler Hero and you get a bunch of first-round picks. So when it's presented as weak, I just think to myself, well, if it's weak, then take a competing offer. I'm not really hearing about competing offers right now. Maybe Danny Ainge, maybe Danny Ainge wakes up tomorrow and he goes, Oh, I'm going to blow him out of the water. But until that's materializing or chatter, if it's materializing, it just seems like it just seems like a standoff where the most logical thing is for Dame to go to Miami. And the most logical thing is for Miami to work out some deal with hero and picks. And there's something odd in how it's just become this big public drawn out fight. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost feels like Portland is being presented as like fighting a holy war here. Like, we're not going to yeah. do it just because you want us to do it. When I mean, it's good, he's going to end up there unless another yeah. contender actually comes to the table. And it doesn't seem oh. like any other contender wants his contract. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say this you know, pro Lillard take here. And I've got Nate Jones, who works for his agent on my podcast. And unlike some people, I can actually acknowledge my conflicts of interest. Oh. Um, <laughs> hey, it's true. I mean, I would have no issue with what's going on if people just were straight up about it. And the fact that they're not should indicate that not everything's on the up and up. But the reason Lillard wants the Heat is because that's what makes sense. It's what makes sense. It makes sense for him to go to the Heat. They're in a situation right now where they are well positioned to make their win now run, which is why they're willing to pay him $60 million in his final deal. There's almost no other team that's really in the kind of scenario where they're all in to win now um, and they're willing to, to give up assets Boston, to do it. Boston would be the only other team where it's like they can give up what it would take while also yeah. still Jalen Brown unsigned, not extended Jalen Brown, just by the way. Yeah. yeah. With, uh, without like gutting their team to the point where like they could actually put together a package and still have a team, but they don't seem interested. They don't. And so we're talking about a very short list, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about if there is a list other than Miami, it is a short list. So 
it's just a standoff. And one of the reasons why Lillard wants Miami again is because that is the most logical place for him to go. They've drafted his replacement. So what are you really waiting around for at this point? It just seems very strange that this has become a public acrimonious fight. And it almost seems like maybe the newsbreakers are part of the story. And that's why it's, it's gotten this way as opposed to a situation where a cooler head should prevail. And I think they eventually will. Cooler heads meaning Portland and Dame or, or, or who are you talking about? I'm talking about everybody on all sides of it. Just look, this is business. There's no reason to go to war here. The Blazers have drafted Lillard's replacement. They're clearly I think, ready to I think move for, on. I think for the listeners, the context would be like, what, what is it that's happening between Lebatard, Woj? I think for the listeners may not understand what you mean by that. I think Cronin is a lot of it, man. The GM of Portland. I think he's a new GM. And there's almost a little bit of new GM syndrome, just like new owner syndrome. And there's a lot of chest puffed out. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get pushed around. It could take mm-hmm. months. You know, this kind of this kind of thing. And it's just, look, you know, you don't want to get forced into a bad deal if you think it's a bad deal. But once again, I don't know what you think is a good deal. Dame staying there and playing for you is not a good deal. Again, you have drafted his replacement. He's going to be making a ton of money. It doesn't even make doesn't make yeah, a lot just, of sense. You just, you're not able to turn the page and get to the next chapter as long as he's on yeah. your roster. Yeah, you're just kind of it's, sitting there. It's very it's it's bizarre to me. And ultimately, you know, GMs don't talk about this, but the thing you want is to be rebuilding. That gives you the time. <laughs> it gives you the uh, the situation where you're getting paid for a few years to make it work and present it. So if you're keeping Dame on roster, it's almost like you're you're trying to win now. So again, there's a lot of posturing, and um, it's very it's very odd to me in how it's been presented. And I think some of it some of it is influenced by the acrimony between Woj and Aaron Goodwin, and that's somehow seeped into the seeped into the whole general story and how it's playing out. Um, and Aaron Goodwin most, is 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 Dame's agent. agent. You guys are such professional podcasters. I, like I'm just trying to. Thing. Not everyone knows. Expo- yeah, with <laughs> the expository, you know. Um, you know, I I like these things get very much in the weeds and yeah. and and should get these details explained. But yeah, it's like, and you know, it's coming at a time. I talked about this with Waz on my podcast. It's coming at a time where people, I think, are justifiably getting annoyed with the uh, pre-agency era, where right. Because you saw a lot of that reaction of people saying, oh, well, they don't know Dame anything. They don't know Dame anything. It's ridiculous. He's saying is they don't know. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I kind of agree they don't owe him anything. But the situation is still what the situation is, which is that he has more value to a team he wants to play for. Um, so that's the team that's probably going to result in the best trade package. And that's probably why this is going to end up how it ends up. But I think people are frustrated because an informal way of doing things has gone away. And that's not being articulated, which is that occasionally a player would really dog it when he wanted out of a situation. But there was a stigma attached. Remember when Vince Carter got absolutely killed for leaving Toronto, for instance? Um, A team that had barely existed uh, and existed in a different country. It was regarded by the media as that's not cool that he quit on that situation. But now Adam Silver's NBA is one in which there are no unchosen bonds. There are no informal codes. You do certain things 
just because it's what's best for you. And that's fine. Go get your bag. We need to talk about how much money we need to play, pay the players for them to really try in the all-star game, that kind of thing. And what ends up happening is that you start to notice that players have a tremendous amount of leverage that they didn't exercise in the past, but that leverage is actually locked up in whether they want to try. And that's an ugly thing nobody really knows how to talk about, which is why does Lillard have more value to a team he wants to play for than for a team he doesn't? It's because he could just not try. And that's his leverage. And he wouldn't say it, but a lot of the conversation about it has to do with that exact topic. I think Woj in his article said, we think his kind of operating capacity, it was weird language, is that he's going to show up and try. But that's a hell of a thing to wonder about if you're paying a guy $60 million in a single season. So I think there's frustration with that, understandably and justifiably, that players can just sign a big deal and all it's a commitment to is how much money they're going to make and it doesn't really matter what team they're going to make it from. Well, I think when you look at some of these deals that have been signed this offseason, LaMelo Ball pops up in my head where I'm just like, 260 million for what? He hasn't proven anything. And do we think he's actually going to finish the rest of the, that contract in Charlotte? Uh, especially because, uh, you know, they're going to be terrible, obviously, for a while. Um, right. So there's there's a couple of those where Anthony Edwards, what if the cat stuff doesn't go well and then Gobert stuff doesn't go well? And then is he going to finish out that contract? I think those yeah. are real questions for a lot of these players where it's maybe we have never talked about that before. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. But I just I doubt that all of these players finish those contracts. Um, maybe the only one that I think will is, is like Desmond Bain, probably. But like beyond that, it's it's like I could see all these guys on different even. Teams. Even that, though, it's like Desmond Bain, good player. Desmond yeah. Bain on a max contract. He's doing the Stephen A. Smith. Yeah. I love Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain's a friend of mine. I have exactly. so much respect for Desmond Bain. You and don't then, love Desmond Bain more than I love Desmond Bain. Didn't we just go through this with Jordan Poole? You know, Jordan Poole on a rookie deal? Amazing. I mean, Jordan look, Poole making 30 plus million a year. I would like it if you could stay in front of anyone on defense, maybe just it's once. Fast. It's fascinating. And then you see the way he gets dealt. There's not really value that comes in return no. because that new CBA is here. And, you know, you can't just be throwing out these deals all willy nilly. I mean, it's interesting. You know, Michael Jordan doesn't really have a leg to stand on because of how he's been as an owner. But the thing, I mean, it's not shocking to me that he's getting out of Dodge uh, right as this LaMelo contract's happening. Because if there's one thing that pisses off Michael Jordan more than any other thing, it's this. I mean, there's an interview. Being paid on I would potential. <laughs> yeah, there's an interview. I recommend I recommend everybody check it out on YouTube where back when they were friends, Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley go on Oprah. And first off, Charles Barkley is just, he is at his peak. He is hilarious in that setting. He's hilarious in any setting, but he is in fine form on Oprah. And Michael Jordan, when he's asked on Oprah of all places, you would think if you if you're if you're asked about what really uh, grinds your axe, what pisses you off on Oprah, you might go with like a different topic that's more for a broader audience that's not necessarily obsessed with the NBA. But you can tell it pained Michael Jordan of that era that young players are getting paid on potential, and he it pissed him off to no end. He thinks it's bad for them. He is just constitutionally against this happening. I cannot imagine how much it pisses him off to see LaMelo Ball and some of I mean, these other guys getting hundreds of millions of dollars. 
conceptually, he's not wrong. If you're rewarding no. a player for stats as opposed to winning with $200 million, what incentive do they think is going to matter? Scoring 20 or getting no. a W, you know? So, but that's conceptually, conceptually, he's indeed not wrong. But maybe this is why he wasn't a good owner because he was fighting the battle of yeah. is versus ought in the wrong direction. And he was saying, but it ought to be this way. And it's like, okay, but if you're a GM, this is kind of how it is. But also, Michael Jordan, you're one of the worst owners in basketball, and you just cashed out how many million dollars? And, and yeah, and- it, 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 yeah, but yeah, that's another. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. It ought not to be that way. But the reality is, Michael Jordan <laughs> made a ton of money by being the worst owner in the NBA. Best best player Charlotte had during Jordan's entire run is who? Kemba Walker? Michael Jordan, yeah. probably. Uh, Sean May. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald I just got Wallace. This from, I, I just got this note passed to me, guys, so I need to apparently... Uh... <laughs> oh, okay. Appreciate right. you, Strauss. Appreciate you, sir. <laughs> Much love, brother. Appreciate Thanks for having you. me, guys. Anytime. Have a great one.